You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Welcome again. It's good to see you all here in worship at Roswell Presbyterian Church. Whether it's your first time or your thousandth time being here, it is a joy to be in worship. We're so glad you're here. If you're wondering what all of the red and orange colorful banners, the spirit flag coming in, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day where we remember uh, Jesus sending his Holy Spirit upon the church, God's living presence with us. And if you didn't grow up in a liturgical tradition like I did not. Uh, It's always just kind of new. We learn how to celebrate and remember certain places in the calendar that highlight certain parts of the story of God that is a part of our story. And what we're going to read today is that story of the sending of the Spirit on the church in the first century. I want you also to be aware that, uh, be on the lookout for my weekly update, the session, which is kind of the governing uh, Uh, elders uh, and leaders of the church, the board of directors, if you will, will be meeting tonight, and hopefully they'll vote and approve a reopening plan. So we'll have some big updates about how we're going to kind of reopen and continue to get uh, our ministries going in in full capacity, especially in person. Well, last week, if You missed it, you can always go to the church website and watch uh, the services, but Carrie Weatherford valiantly concluded our sermon series on the book of Revelation, and she did such a fantastic job, and what we're going to see here kind of ties in to the book of Revelation, this vision for the future, and today we celebrate Pentecost, we're looking at the first Christian question, so let us open our eyes and our hearts to the reading of God's word from Acts 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. (laughs) But Peter, standing with the eleven, 
raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great story from Holy Scripture. It happened 2,000 years ago, but that spirit is still sent upon us even today. So we ask that we might have the ears of our heart, the eyes of our hearts attuned to your spirit, that you might speak a word that only you can speak. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You should live your life in such a way so as to demand the question, Why do you live like that? And it can only be answered by saying, because of Jesus Christ. You should live your life in such a way so as to demand the question, why do you live like that? And the only answer you can give is because of Jesus Christ. Today's scripture picks up in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Jesus has died and risen from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples over a 40-day period. He eventually ascends to heaven, and he says to his disciples, go to Jerusalem, gather there, and wait, because I am going to send the Holy Spirit, my Spirit, upon you. And so we find the apostles there in an upper room in Jerusalem waiting for the Spirit to descend. And then what we read today is God's Spirit sent upon them. It's a miracle. The church has become the church. The first Christians are filled with God's Spirit and God's power. They have become a community of faith and love. They're being prepared to be sent out into the world as God's witnesses, as God's ambassadors to the good news of Jesus Christ. The church has become the church. And outsiders who observe them begin to talk amongst themselves. Have these guys been drinking? These guys are crazy. They begin to ask the question, why do they live like this? Are they drunk? And we see the first Christian question. You should live your life in such a way so as to demand the question, Why do you live like this? And the only answer you can give is because of Jesus Christ. I've been transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. In today's passage, we see Peter unfolding and unraveling the implications of this good news for the new community that is founded around 
the message of Jesus Christ. He says, by quoting from the, or the prophet Joel from 500 years earlier, he says, in the last days it will be that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He says, no, we're not drunk and here is why. We are living what he calls in the last days. Those who have been listening for the past couple months on our sermon series on the book of Revelation will be familiar with some of the imagery from the prophet Joel. Blood, fire, portents, smoky mists. This is apocalyptic language. It's to signify that we are living in the last days. Something new has happened. We're living in the last days. See, there's a certain view or kind of worldview about the cosmos, about creation that comes from the Bible. God created the world, called it good, but the earliest humans sinned, and now we're all stuck in sin. We're born into it. The world is messed up, and we can all agree about that, but we also believe that God intervened 2,000 years ago in Jesus Christ, reconciling the world to himself, undoing the power of sin. And so by now living in faith in Jesus Christ, our lives and our world can be transformed. But we're living in what they call the last days. We're in the intermediary time, waiting for the final day. Peter says, you know what we've all been waiting for? Well, it's here. The Messiah has come. He's been crucified, dead, and buried, and he rose on the third day. Now hopefully when we were looking at the book of Revelation. You noticed we didn't spend a lot of time that a lot of folks like to us about looking at certain times or events to predict when the final day comes. Why? Because Jesus says, don't worry, I don't even know when it is myself. We don't know when it's going to happen. That's not the point. The point is to live in light of the final day and let God's power and God's light shine into our present moments. We don't know the ending, when it's going to come, but we do know what's going to happen. We know who the Lord of history is, and so that transforms our present moment. And Peter says, we are living in the last days. He quotes from Joel. He says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. There are two really consequences of the Spirit's descent among us, of God's empowering presence among us. It transforms us. First, we see radical unity amidst diversity. We see diversity, people hearing the language, hearing the good news message in their own language. They understand it. The message is the same, but it's translated into different languages, we see radical unity amidst great diversity. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. What we see here essentially is God undoes what is done and what happens in Genesis 11 in the story of the Tower of Babel. If you remember that story, everybody on earth had the same language, and so they come together and they say, We're going to build a tower to the heavens, it'll reach to God. Do you remember why they say they're going to do that? They say, let us make our name great. And basically there we see essentially the 
heart of humanity. Let us make our name great. Let us build a tower to the heavens. And so God comes among them, diversifies their language, and they're set into confusion. And at Babel, we see the timeless human story of humans trying to be like God, to make our name great. And in that pursuit, we're thrown into confusion. But in Acts 2, we see the exact opposite People coming in diversity and hearing the same message, the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ, the deeds of God's power. We are freed not to make our name great, to make God's name great, to, to share this new message. Unity amidst diversity. We are called to live as a diverse community, loving God and our neighbors as ourselves. People ask, why do you do that? <laughs> well, because of the good news and transformation of Jesus Christ. But here's the second consequence. Who is included in this ministry? Listen to this. He says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And then he goes on in verse 18. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. This is the second consequence of the Holy Spirit's ministry among us. No one is excluded in God's ministry. All are called. We are all called, whether you're up here or sitting in the pews, we are all called to this ministry. Young and old, men and women, free or slave, the gospel flattens out all differences. Whether they're economic or social, gender. We are all included in this ministry. Unfortunately, as we know, many folks have missed this point. In fact, many churches choose to restrict the full gifts of ministry, many to men alone. I think they fail to, to understand what happened here in Acts 2. Basically, and I, I always like to highlight this because a lot of people wonder where did kind of the gender hierarchy come from? Well, if you go back to Genesis 3 and you read the story, you'll see that Adam and Eve were created as equals. Eve was taken from Adam's rib, Adam's side. The Jewish rabbis used to say they, you know, God took him from his rib so, and not from his feet because from his feet he would rule over her, but not from his head because then she might rule over him, but from his side because they are meant to be partners, co-equals. And they're told they can eat from anything in the garden, just not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they disobey God and they eat from it. And God finds them hiding in the garden. And listen to this. This is Genesis 3. As the consequence for their disobedience, God says to the woman, listen to this. I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Notice here that this ruling over is a consequence of the fall. It's a consequence of their disobedience. It's part of the punishment. And so somebody said, oh, that's bad news. Well, guess what? I've got good news for you. What has God done in Jesus Christ? 
but undone the consequences of the fall. We're living in a new reality that our disobedience, our fallenness doesn't have the last word, but God's good news in Jesus Christ does. We are living in a post-resurrection world. We're living in the last days. And so in Christ, we are invited into mutual egalitarian relationships. We are all called to ministry. Everyone is called to use their gifts in ministry. This is one of the reasons the early church exploded in growth. If you don't believe me, go and read Rodney Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity. He's a sociologist at Baylor. He used to be at the University of Washington, but he fell a long way. But you should really go read it, The Rise of Christianity, because he takes kind of a sociologist or an economic approach looking at why did the church grow this little group of folks, 11 guys sitting in an upper room, why did it explode in the backwoods of the Roman Empire that worshipped a Palestinian peasant who was crucified on a cross? It doesn't make any sense. Well, they gather around the good news of Jesus Christ, and they begin to do ministry with the outcasts and the marginalized people who were excluded by society, found value, a mission, and purpose in the church. They gathered in that new community. In fact, one of relating to our own present predicament, the early church, the first hundred years, there was a massive pandemic in Rome. At the time, 5,000 citizens were dying every day. Romans would, they would throw out their own family members out into the streets to die if they were sick. Guess who would come along and take care of them? The early church. Because they believed they were called to ministry. And when people saw it, they said, why do you live like that? Oh, because of Jesus Christ. And that's our same reason. In this day, we're living in the last days, where everyone is included. And so when it comes to living in the last days, God doesn't care so much about your ability as your availability. God does not care so much about your ability as so much your availability. Today we're going to ordain elders to serve on session. And when the nominating committee calls these candidates and says, you've been nominated, would you be willing to say yes and serve as an elder? Almost all the time, these people go, what? Who, me? I'm not qualified. What, what do I know? Well, welcome to the party. God does not care about your ability, but about your availability. I found that to be so comforting. And that message isn't just for elders, it's for all. All of us, we're all called to ministry. And this is really um, something that's core to who we are as Presbyterians, that we are all called. We actually state it explicitly in our Book of Order, which is what the U.S. Constitution is to the United States. The Book of Order is to the Presbyterian Church. It says this in chapter 3. Listen to this. Oh, sorry, chapter 6, in case you're going to fact check me says this, I'm, I'm, I'm not even kidding, listen to this. One responsibility of membership in the church is the election of officers who are ordained to fulfill particular functions. Okay, listen to this. So a lot of us are like, oh, we're off the hook, we don't need to do anything. Not so. 
The existence of these offices in no way diminishes the importance of the commitment of all members to the total ministry of the church. These ordained officers differ from other members in function only. In function only. When we ordain these elders, we are ordaining them. But it only changes their function, not their status. We are all called to ministry, to our own functions, to serve in our own unique way. No one is better than anyone else. Not the preacher, not the the elder, not the person sitting in the pews. We are all gathered together in ministry. This is the great conviction that comes from Peter's great egalitarian view of ministry in the church. This could be as an elder, as a Sunday school teacher. It could be through our flower guild ministry. Did you know this? So every Sunday, people will donate flowers. and They're beautiful. And we get to, to remember who they represent and who they point to, and we all celebrate them. But did you know they get delivered on a Friday or a Saturday? And then on Monday... A flower guild, a bunch of people will come and they will take this bouquet of flowers and they'll make little mini bouquets. And then all these folks will come and drive them all over creation, delivering them to our church members who might be stuck at their home, who need to remember that they are remembered, that we're thinking of them, that we're praying for them. And if they have any left over, they take them to the Roswell Nursing Home. So people there know. This church, we care about you. We have not forgotten you. You are loved. We can't be with you, but these flowers can, and they represent our presence and God's love for you. Now, somebody probably said, well, I just like flowers. I'm really good at making bouquets, but there's no way I can serve. Yes, there is. Join the flower power ministry. We can all serve. Not all of us can be in the worship band, thank God. But we can all serve in our own unique ways. I've been preaching a version of this sermon for probably like 10 years. I either title it The First Christian Question, or if I'm feeling kind of like a little risque, I call it Are You Drunk? (laughs) And it really comes from an experience I had when I took a bunch of college students to Nicaragua to build homes with Habitat for Humanity. And the last night we were there, we met with a professor, an economics professor there in uh, Managua. And he said this, he said, he said you know, we, are, we have some of the most you know, natural uh, resources of any country in the world, and yet our, our, so many of our people live in poverty. And he says, I get so depressed I'm so sad about this situation. He says, sometimes I I doubt God's faithfulness. Sometimes I even doubt God's existence. And then he said this. He said, but when I see you here, when I think about you guys could have been, you know, on your spring break vacation, you could have been at home visiting friends, but you decided to come here. He says this. He said, you are God's faithfulness to me, really transformed the way I think about ministry. You are God's faithfulness to me. Why are you doing this? Oh, because of the good news of Jesus Christ. I kept leading those trips and 
There was a young couple who were dating their students at Georgia Tech, Ben and Melissa. And they had come on a couple trips that we went to Honduras one year. They kept dating. They moved to Philadelphia, got engaged. And I ended up uh, seeing them. And when we met, I said, so where are you guys going to go on your honeymoon? They said, Jeff, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? They said, we're going to take a a two-week honeymoon. I said, wow, I can't believe it. They said, yeah. They said, for the first week, we're going to go to a resort. We're going to have a great time. Just relax. But the second week, our wedding party is going to meet us in Honduras, and we're going to do a habitat build. We're going to serve in ministry. I said, wow, that is crazy. Why in the world would you do that? You know what they said? Because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we are transformed by that news. We are all called to ministry. And so this is the first Christian question, and it's also the last Christian question. Why do you do that? Oh, because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the good news we have heard in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that great first sermon that Peter gave. Lord, may it be true for all of us that we might be transformed by that news, that we might hear our call to ministry. In your name we pray. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.